arguably no other portion of scripture has more shaped art, has more shaped history, architecture, songs from ancient poets to modern day Biggie Smalls. You will have walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Even this week, as I watch Netflix, a show at part of the funeral, not a Christian show, but they're reading Psalms 23 at the funeral. It, it has shaped our hymns. It has shaped our modern day culture and our art and everything around it. A very powerful psalm. And one of the things I love about Psalm 23 is that you can have zero biblical background or understanding, yet you can do a simple read of Psalm 23 and your soul can be encouraged. Such a beautiful passage. And, and our hope for this series is a little bit tricky because with something like this, uh, undoubtedly, if you have followed Jesus, you have had an encounter with Psalms 23. You've had a moment where the Holy Spirit illuminates or gives you a promise or you're encouraged in hardship that it's meant something to you, which is incredible. And our goal for this series is not to say, oh, I know you had this idea or this thought. Wrong. This is actually what it means. Sometimes there's portions of scripture that clarity brings new meaning, but our desire is not to come and try and erase the history and the experience and the richness of your interaction with Psalm 23 with the Lord, but to come alongside and say, hey, what more? Aligning with what God has done in your life through this chapter, what more might God be saying to you? And I want to start today by doing a simple read. We'll, the, the scripture will be on the screen. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I shall not want. What a statement. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over or overflows, some translations would say, and it ends with the declaration of the person proclaiming the psalm of surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today asking that you would make something very familiar and something very old become new and fresh life to us today. In the name of your Son, we ask that you would correct, that you would change, that you would redirect, that you would do what this psalm promises, bring restoration to our, our souls. Father, as we go throughout this series, we ask that the empowerment of your Holy Spirit would allow us not just to re uh, memorize this passage as something to give us a little bit of hope, but it would be a transformation in the way we live and the expectations we have of you and of ourselves. Lord, we thank you for your word that is active and it is living, and we invite you 
in this time as we jump into this text. Lord, would you speak to us in Jesus' name? Amen. As I said, the goal for the series is not to say, hey, there's a wrong way of viewing this or not. And as you actually study out Psalms, there's many different ideas or perspectives, all which have their merit. And this series, we're going to take something a little bit um, different that was different for me or new to me in how we're going to come at this passage of Scripture that will hopefully be helpful for us. Although it's known as the, the passage or the chapter of the Good Shepherd, we see and we will continue to see that this is a picture of King Jesus. This, this chapter illustrates God of Israel, Yahweh, as, we're gonna, as he is known to the Israelites, that as King of the Israelites, he then, as we read through the scripture, gives us three analogies that we're going to look at over the weeks. First, he gives us what's more well known as the sheep and the shepherd analogy in verses 2 and 3. He then moves to another analogy that we'll look at as guide and follower or wanderer. As King Jesus is meant to be our shepherd, us his sheep, he is also our guide in unknown territory that we are meant to follow his leading. And lastly, we'll look at as Jesus as our host and we the guests in his kingdom and at his table. This psalm begins to illustrate the aspects of King Jesus for you and I today. And in reading something like this psalm, in many scriptures, you'd have the same options, I guess you could say. When reading a a passage of scripture that claims great promises, some of them seeming to be unbelievable, too good to be true. And the first option you would have in interpreting this passage would be what I call the break glass in case of emergency approach, right? Like you go about life doing everything you can do and, and when you're just struggling, you're like, I can't do this. It's like, ah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear you're, you're with me, right? When I can do all that I can do and, and I'm doing my best and I just can't, at least I can claim this. Or I'm going and it's tough and I'm struggling. Oh, I just need rest and I've done everything I can. And when life goes wrong, when we have exhausted our own abilities, we at least can fall back on good old Psalm 23 to remind us of what's good of God. And I say this a bit in jest, but the reality is it can be used in that way. And the reality is God is gracious. And the reality is that like the, the, the prodigal son, when we go and run off and try and do everything in and of ourselves, and we come to our senses and, and repent that God is merciful. He's a good father who is always there to welcome you and to invite you back in. But I would maybe suggest if how you approach Psalm 23 is a break glass in case of emergency, there's a second much better option. And I believe that this psalm invites us into an invitation, gives us an invitation into a new way of living all of the time, not just in case of emergency. You see, most scripture speaks to us. The psalms speak for us. And if the psalms are precious, speaking the language of the heart's personal experience of God, Psalm 23 is the pearl. Because it combines the beautiful picture of who God is with a beautiful picture of what God does. And it does so all the while simply assuming that this marriage of divine person and heavenly benefits is the personal experience available 
for every believer to claim that the Lord is my shepherd. So as we go throughout this series, I would love to invite you not to just saying, oh, this brings encouragement, because the reality is this psalm has been known and it's been appropriated for funerals. We're looking at this hard time to help you up, but Psalm 23 has much more to say about abundant life, friends, than it does death and sorrow. Much more available to us to experience what God has made available for those who would follow and call him shepherd. And this morning, we're actually going to simply look at verse 1. Because I think there's a lot in there. We see that verse 1 in the New King James translation has nine words. In the original language, it actually has four Hebrew words that communicate this. It says there are only four Hebrew words in Psalm 23.1, translated, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And to my mind, again, this is a quote, the most astonishing aspect is often passed over almost universally. Our eye and spiritual sensibilities, it seems, are trained to be drawn more to the pastoral image of what God does in shepherding us than the simple truth of who is doing the shepherding. But the identity of the shepherd is no small thing. He is the Lord. Of all the beautiful words in the psalm, the author is claiming with these two first words, it's staggering. We tend to go to still waters and green pastures. We tend to go to the guide who's with us. We want to focus that I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death. He's not going to be there. We love the part in the promise where he's going to smack our enemies around when we sit and enjoy a nice burger, right? Like we love the cup overflowing and his blessings and all this. And if we're not careful, we can rush to the benefits and we miss how he frames in this entire conversation. And today we're going to focus on that. I want to look at this first. The first word we're going to look at is when he says, my shepherd. We see that a shepherd in this, and today, I'm not sure if you, I was thinking about this. I've actually never seen a shepherd. Has anyone seen a shepherd? I'm just curious. Like, hold on, shepherd's crook. I've seen farmers. They don't treat their sheep like shepherds do. Um, <laughs> taste better, but less care. Um, but I'm realizing this idea, and we, we need to go back a little bit into antiquity to realize what a shepherd does. And we're going to spend a little bit more focus on this next week. But a shepherd's role, or he was responsible for the care of the sheep. He was hired, and it was his job to protect his flock, to care for his flock, to feed his flock, that that was his sole responsibility. Come bear, come lion, come wolf. It was his job, his role, his function to ensure the safety, the provision, and the care of his sheep. And unlike a cattle herder that would drive from behind the cattle, he was a shepherd that led with his voice, not with, with striving and swinging, but led with relationship and closeness to his sheep. He was so close to them, and they were so familiar with him, as we see in John 10, that the sheep knew his voice. They wouldn't follow anyone else, that this was the relationship of shepherd to sheep. But it's also actually a title for a king, which is important as we talked about this psalm sets up King Jesus. It was common all throughout this ancient day to refer to a king as a shepherd. 
His people were the flock to which he was responsible to care for, to defend against any uh, attacking armies, the betterment, uh, the betterment and the flourishing of his people. So it is said even in, throughout Israel that God was the shepherd of it. Jesus claims to be the shepherd of it, that we see this term shepherd is not just the function of the vocation, but it also is a term of the king that rules his people and provides and protects his people. And it still can be a little bit of an interesting concept for us because we now have a king, used to be a queen, but I, we, we kind of go about and there's some intricacies in our law, but we're, we're not really connected to that king. I've yet to meet him, you know? Like it's not of this, it's this distant kind of off, oh, whatever it is. But the reality is all of us have shepherds. Even our best attempt to swim against the tide, we are strangely conformists. We each are following someone or something all the time. We're we relying on someone or something other than ourselves to keep us safe, to protect us, to provide for us the comfort we need to face life unafraid. And what's interesting in this analogy, which is quite unfortunate when you study out what a sheep is, if he is a shepherd, what are we? Sheep. That's unfortunate. Because you study out sheep, they're so lame. Like, they're just the worst. I, I don't know of any other animal that just would cease to exist if it wasn't for humans to care for them, right? Like, there's nothing wild about a sheep. Wanders off by himself, it just gets too much wool and it can't move. And then it just gets picked off by a wolf. We see that sheep are 100% dependent on a shepherd. We see that sheep are so dumb that they would drown when they see, oh, I'm thirsty, there's water, and they'd run into the river and be taken away. Like, they're so unable to defend themselves, not to mention from bear and lion and wolf, from flies. Because they're just dirty animals, and a fly will go up into their nasal cavity and plant eggs, and when it starts to buzz around in the head, it just sits there and smashes its head against a rock until it dies. That reminds me of how I am with the Lord sometimes. Like, you just keep hitting my head against the wall again and again. He's like, what are you doing? The shepherd needed to anoint the sheep to protect it. If God is shepherd, folks, we are dumb sheep. I hope you're encouraged this morning. Put that on a sticker. <laughs> but this is the analogy that the author of Psalm invites us into. A sheep is 100% dependent on listening to, obedience to, and following of his shepherd. And oftentimes as followers of Jesus, we can read a psalm like Psalm 23, and we can look at the promises and the benefits and think, just because I claim Jesus, that means all of that is for me. And friends, can I tell you, at verse 1 of Psalm 23, it sets the parameters all of the promises, all of the provision, all of the blessing, all of the overflow, everything is, is, is in the context of him being shepherd if you are willing to be obedient sheep. We cannot do whatever we want and expect the provision, the protection and the provision and the closeness and the relationship of the shepherd that he promises if we are not sheep. If I am not sheep, and I love this last aspect, it's not just shepherd in general, but it says he's my shepherd. Economically, this would never happen. 
You would not pay a shepherd to take care of a sheep. You would have dinner instead. It is much more economic. You don't have to pay for his salary. A shepherd would never just have one sheep. There was a flock. And although us, if we are sheep, yes, we belong to the flock of Jesus, universally to the church, specifically to a local church, our shepherd doesn't just see the crowd. My shepherd knows my name. My shepherd knows my struggle. And as we look at who this shepherd is, it just becomes to grow more and more unbelievable. But as we go through this psalm, we need to stop and realize that I am a sheep in desperate need of a shepherd. And I'm grateful that our shepherd knows me by name. We see in this picture given to us that the benefits and the promises to follow are not for those who simply claim Jesus as shepherd and then promptly wander off under their own agenda, but for those who are willing to surrender and follow Jesus in complete obedience as sheep. Our desire for this series as we start 2024, what would it look like if we started the year understanding the incredible promise and benefit that God is my shepherd. To reorient, reallocate my time, my money, my focus around following my shepherd. Because the reality is, King Jesus' shepherd is always speaking. He knows he is your shepherd. He has a specific and unique plan and call for you. He has gifted you in certain ways. He has a purpose and a path that would lead you to life abundantly. And it continues on. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he says something very confusing to me. It says, I shall not want. Or other translation says, I lack nothing. That sounds great, but the reality is I want a lot of things. (laughs) Like I have no exhaustion of the things that I need, right? I need that new, you know, hunting thing. I need that new fly rod. I need a higher, bigger, stronger truck. Well, not higher. I'm too short to to drive a a jacked up truck, but maybe just one with nice tires, right? Like I, I need, I want a new house and I want these things and I want all these things. And this statement, oh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have never experienced that. Just me? Oh, I follow Jesus. Oh, I don't need anything. Lies. I got a long list of the things that I want. And that's the reality. And at face value, if we read this, there's two pitfalls that I believe we can fall into if we're not careful. Number one is we can take this literally at face value to our current culture. What I mean by that is, oh, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to lack nothing. Great. So if I follow him, he's got to do everything I ask. Jesus, I want a new house. I want to, you know, I want this. I want to lose weight without going to the gym. I I want all this stuff here. I want this car. I want this. I want this. And and because I pray, he's got to do it. And we take him from being the I am and the Lord, and we make him our cosmic butler or our genie. And we think that, oh, if I have any desire, I can just ask it, and he has to give it to me. And we confuse his purpose and his power as our shepherd for being fulfilling our earthly and natural desires as primary in his purpose. Does God want to bless you? Absolutely. But that is not what is most important to him. 
And if we take this literal reading, I shall not want, there's only one option, disillusionment, disappointment, and probably deconstruction at the end of it. Because you follow Jesus long enough, and oh, I don't want my grandma to die, and then she dies. Well, what happened, Lord? I, I need this job, God, I want this. And I don't get the job, I get fired. And we hit this reality. If God is meant, his purpose is meant to fulfill every want, wish, and desire of ours, this verse either lies, or secondly, is simply allegorical. That it's, yeah, oh, I shall not want. Okay, he's talking like, well, because of Jesus, great. I, I, I'm not lacking. I don't lack anything when it comes to my salvation. I know I can come boldly before the throne of grace. And, and hear me, I don't, I don't say that as that's belittling, but it's to say that it could only mean that or only one day futuristic, that in a new heaven and a new earth, one day I'll lack nothing. But it has zero grounding, zero encouragement, or zero worth in my day-to-day life. Can I say that this phrase absolutely refers to the fact that I lack nothing when I stand before the Father, when I stand in Christ Jesus and his righteousness. That is the best news this world has ever heard. And absolutely one day when I meet Jesus face to face in a new heaven and a new earth, I will lack absolutely nothing because he is absolutely sufficient in and of himself and all of creation will sing his praise absolutely. But I believe there is a middle ground that if we take it simply to mean allegory, we miss. There's an experience with that. And before we get into why, I want to hit a little bit on a cultural commentary as to why this can be a struggle for us, right? In today's day and age, we are ran, whether we like it or not, by marketing. We are ran by this desire of this consumerism. And we see that wants, oh, I want this, want this, want this, are not just, oh, that would be nice. Wants very quickly turn to needs. I don't want a new boat. That's that's a bad example because I do need a new boat. Um, Just tease. I I don't want a new boat. I I need a new boat. And if things are no longer wants or desires, but we see them and we actually think they are needs, they then become what? Rights. I am deserving of this. This is my right. And we put ourselves securely at the center of everything that we are doing, that my desires, my wants, and my wishes are king, and everything is meant to serve that. We have a culture that says, if you just can accumulate everything you desire, you will reach a place of fulfillment and happiness. And in our modern day, there's a lot of other cultural commentary we don't need to get into. We'll touch a little bit on this next week, but we think like, oh, like this is just a struggle because of marketing in the 21st century, but we see that, that Psalms 23 is talking about this as well. And so we see this is not just a result of our culture, although our culture does not help us in this way. It is part of fallen humanity that our eyes are never quenched. Friends, if you think you can just accumulate enough money, finally you will reach a point where you are satisfied, you're mistaken. If you think just another house, or just a bigger house, or just a better whatever it is, or just, if I could just get this, if I could just get this, then happiness is there. We see that that's not the case. See, the issue arises when we misinterpret verses like verse 1 to mean that if God is all-powerful, If he's my shepherd, his promise is that I will lack nothing. And this means that as long as I do my part, God will give me everything that I want. 
we see that this is part of our sin nature, that the eye is never quenched. You go back that this is, like I said, this isn't a current problem, a new problem. In Deuteronomy 8, we see that God says of Israel, says, I did all these things for you. I took you out of Egypt, and I did all these incredible miracles, and I brought you into the promised land. And it says, when your eyes saw the goodness of the land, you forgot the Lord. See that our eyes and our desire for more is never quenched. And next week we're going to look at the practices and the habits and the things that God, knowing this about us, leads us to put into place to intentionally limit our wanting so that we can actually find true fulfillment. We see that God did this in the seventh day on the Sabbath. We see that God did this on the seventh year in, 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 in with Israel, the laws that he set up. We see that the year of Jubilee are all things where he says, these are laws in place to stop your wanting, to stop your accumulating. You need to trust me as your provision, not just of things, but of satisfaction. And you need to not look to the field. You need to not look to your finances to provide this. And we'll look at this as part of what we'll look at next week as still waters and green pastures. See, the eye is never quenched. But Psalms 23, however, is an oasis in our materialistic wasteland. It invites us to stop and rest a while and consider afresh who God is in the simple plentitude of his being and the endless riches of his covenant of love. The author of Psalm 23 seems that he knew in advance, what the Apostle Paul would later describe as the ability of having nothing, yet possessing everything. We see this in the life of Paul. He says, I had to learn to the Philippians in much and in little. That did not determine what God has called me to or my wholeness. We see that Jesus is our example of this. He had natural physical desires. In the garden, he had a natural desire and a want not death, right? Like he knows the cross is coming. He had walked by crucifixions many a time of crosses on the road. He knew the pain he was about to do and there was a natural desire. I don't want to do this. But greater than his natural desire, he had lived a life that limited the wanting of his natural eye. And in, on top of that, and superior to that, was an obedience to the Father and only doing what he said and what he had called me to. He knew that I wouldn't lack anything that I want, but if I'm trying to obey the Father, he is committed to me and I will lack nothing I need to do to obey the Father. And facing an impossibility of death, Jesus was convinced that he would lack no thing to not only pour and bear the cross, but be risen back from death to life because his father had called him to it. Friends, Psalms 23 is not a promise that God is your spiritual piggy bank. It is a promise that although you may have lots of wants, although you walk through hard times, although maybe in this life you will never see the answer to the prayer you would desire. If our primary goal is not pleasure, but it is purpose, and if it's not desire, if it is calling, when we hear the voice of the Lord and he calls us to do something, you will never lack in the power of the Holy Spirit what you need to obey him. 
When the Lord is your shepherd, he will lead you. And the good news, friends, is that whatever he leads you, you lack no thing to walk in obedience to what God has called and purposed and created you for. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I lack nothing that I need in the power of the Holy Spirit to obey and walk in everything that he has called me to. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not that God doesn't want to bless you. We've talked about that, but that is not his primary concern. His primary concern is your heart. His primary concern is your transformation into a Christ-like person that can reflect the kingdom of God to a broken world. And lastly, the worship team wants to come up and our baptisms can get ready. You might be saying, Daniel, it sounds life nice, but it's a little bit extreme, is it not? We started by singing a new song. It says, I've been trained to take off any limit, take off any rules. My life is about my pleasure. Find the fulfillment. And I'll find what I long for in life. See, that's not actually the case. For me to say of any other person or any other being other than the Lord, hey, you just need to trust him. You need to depend on him. Your wants and your desires, they're not wrong per se, as long as they come underneath the Lordship. You need to walk in full obedience. He's your shepherd. You're the dumb sheep. Sorry. He's, your, I, he's my shepherd. I'm the dumb sheep. I'll attack myself. It's a little bit easier for you to hear it then, right? I'm the dumb sheep. Like, how dare you tell me I can't, and my rights, and this, and what do you mean? And, I, and no one would do that, or it's a good idea, but how do, how do you walk that out? And I think we struggle with this when we miss the first Hebrew word and the understanding of it. It starts by saying, the Lord. And this word, if you're reading in any of your Bibles, you'll see that the word itself is all capitals which tells us something, if you didn't know this, that anytime the word the Lord in English is all capitals, it is referring to the Hebrew word Yahweh, or how we would be able to pronounce it. A lot of incredible stuff around this study and this word, but it was the name that God gave Moses in Exodus 3, that this was his covenant name. It was such a holy and honored and other than us, an incredible name that Jewish people would not even utter it. They took all the vowels out of it so it didn't even make sense to say in their language and they would actually use alternative words for God or Adonai or these things because it was such a reverent, holy, powerful word. And in Exodus 3, we see Moses receives this and I think there's a key to us that we need to keep in mind because we can lose the power of the I am that Liza was talking about today. We can lose, we can misunderstand, and we can put limitations on what God can do. And we put limitations on his ability. We put limitations on his care. We put limitations on what he could do with me because I'm so rotten, I'm so whatever else. And in Exodus chapter three, we see Moses abandoned by his parents. And we know the story hindsight, but as a child, you might not understand that your mom put you in a basket and sent you down the river. He says he was grabbed by Pharaoh's daughter, raised in Pharaoh's house. 
as he was a man, he began to realize and tried to free his people and under his own strength, he becomes a murderer and more than that becomes a fugitive, mocked by his own people and chased by the government of the day to which he was slaves. For 40 years in the wilderness, he becomes a shepherd and he's manning his father-in-law's sheep, far from what God had called him to. He's alone, he's a shepherd and he's walking and one day he sees something unbelievable. He says he saw a burning bush. He's a bit frightened, but then he began to realize as he looked that the bush, it wasn't consumed. And there's two things in this story that reveal to us who our shepherd is. First, in the name that God reveals to Moses, he says, I am the I am. And Moses, like, he gives us this call to Moses, everything that you're going to do, here's where you're going, you're going to deliver the people, and it's going to be incredible. And he's like, I can't do this, i got to stutter. And he's coming up with every excuse why he can't do it. And he says, well, who, who should I tell him told me? How are they going to know I'm not a lunatic? He says, tell them that I am sent you. And even Hebrew linguistics, as they look at this, they're perplexed by this word. There's no other word like it. Because unlike us, we are limited and we are finite. But this word I am means that I've always been and I'll always be and I have no need of anything else to be. I am sufficient in and of myself. This is who God is. He had no beginning. Unlike me and you, if I'm your shepherd, you're in big trouble. Because I had a beginning. I derived naturally from my parents. I had no ability to make myself come into being. I was dependent on them. And as I grow, I'm not only was I dependent and derived from something finite, I am always changing. My hair color is changing. My weight is changing. My personality, physically, I am changing and decaying. Hopefully, personality and in my character, I am growing more into Christ-likeness. Who I am, what I look like, it's ever-changing. And whether you knew it or not, one day I will be no more in this body. That I am am finite. I am derived from someone. I am ever-changing. And one day I will no longer be. But Yahweh... The I am. The shepherd you have had no need of anything to bring him into creation because he had everything he needed. He has always been. He is self-sustaining. He is all-powerful. He is all-holy. He is other than us. We can't even comprehend it. Language all around the world fail to capture who he is. He is unchanging, friends, which means the promise of Psalm 23 is the promise for you and I today that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews tells us that he is always the same. He is always loving. He is always kind. He is always just. He is always enough. He is always close. He always always hears. He's always speaking. He's always there for you. And he will always be. There's no end to him. There's no end to his rule. There's no end to his reign. And if that in just the word wasn't enough, God gives him a physical picture to help understand it. You see that it said the, the fire was on the bush, but it was not what? Consumed. Natural fire needs three things. It needs oxygen, it needs heat, and it needs fuel. Fire has a starting point, 
It has a change that it goes as it is dependent on the fuel and the oxygen to continue to be. But no matter what fire it is, when the fuel is consumed, the fire will go out. And God, right before he's about to reveal to Moses his otherness, his self-sustainingness, his I don't need anything else, I will always be never-ending, he gives him a physical picture of the holiness of God. This fire did not consume the, the bush because it had no need of fuel. It had no need to be consumed. It just was in and of itself. And so in the language, we see this otherness, this self-sustainingness. And in this picture of the burning bush, we see that God is a God who doesn't need fuel. He doesn't need what we need to just be who he is. He is not limited by what we are limited by. The I am. A flame that does not burn out, therefore his resources are inexhaustible. His power is unwearied. He needs no rest for recuperation of wasted energy. His gifts are not diminished, do not diminish the store which he has to bestow. He gives and he is none the poorer. He works and he is never weary. He operates and he is unspent. His love, he loves and he loves forever. And through the ages, the fire burns on unconsumed and undecaying. This is our shepherd, friends. This is who we're talking about. This is who you are invited to surrender to in his beauty, in his majesty, in his powerfulness, in his otherness. This God is my shepherd. And because of that, confidence I can say I will never lack anything I need to walk and follow him because he is a God who has no lack we see beautifully that Jesus is the fulfillment of this this is not just good news for Israel John 10 famous passage where there's this shepherd and Jesus undeniably he's pulling on this Old Testament scripture when he says I I'm the good shepherd. It's not just Yahweh, but I am actually come and I am represent, I am him and I am your good shepherd. I will lead you, I will guide you. The promise you'll hear my voice and I'm gonna protect you. All of these beautiful things. And the reason he can claim to be the good shepherd is because two chapters earlier in chapter eight of John, he's in an argument with the religious people and he's saying, you got it wrong. Your father is the father of lies and our father's Abraham. He goes, you don't know who Abraham is. Like you're not even 50 years old. How do you know who Abraham is? And he says this. Truly, I tell you, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And Jesus, they pick up stones because he claimed the name that he should never speak. We see that for us, friends, today, wherever you are, Jesus has died for your sins. He has died to usher you into relationship with him. If you would surrender your life to him, he's got a call and he's got a purpose for you and he will transform you and he is there to be close. This promise of a good shepherd is not just relegated to an ancient text, but Jesus, the I am, the one who always was. He was the word with God before God. He claims to be close and be our good shepherd and he has poured out generously his Holy Spirit for those who receive him to be led by him. 
to be changed by him, to be transformed by him. Jesus, the I am. With these understandings in place, I want to invite us all the next few weeks to engage in something. When you walked in, some of you may have got a bookmark. You'll have some at the door when you walk out. As we go through as a family, I want to encourage you, do what you can to be here over the next five weeks. We look at the incredible promises of this passage for those whose shepherd is the Lord. To start the morning reminding yourself, just as a simple reading of Psalm 23, to read and reflect on and start your day understanding that he's your shepherd. And on the back it has the Lord's Prayer as we reflect on the day to remind ourselves that he is our father and what he's done. And I'd love to encourage you, grab one of these, put it where it's in your car, put it wherever it is. And over the next five weeks, let us continue together to say, God, would you reveal to me what it means? That the Lord is my shepherd. I, his sheep. Therefore, I lack nothing I need to walk in obedience to your word empowered by your spirit to see your kingdom come in my life and be reflected to those around me. So Jesus, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would change and transform us. That we would learn what it means to be obedient sheep to an unbelievable completely other, self-sustaining, perfect, powerful shepherd who's come close in your son, in Jesus' name.